News, weather, traffic, money, politics, big interviews, and bold opinions. It's what's happening right now. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, if you've been thinking about traveling to the United States or making some plans, well, news for you this morning that you need to know. The U.S. announced recently they would soon start accepting international visitors, and the rules were going to change for everyone coming from another country. That includes Canadians. So there were many questions, right? Especially since many Canadians have a vaccine that isn't necessarily approved south of the border, such as AstraZeneca. Well, late Friday afternoon came word, though, that America will accept international visitors with any of the six COVID-19 vaccines that are authorized by either U.S. regulators or the World Health Organization. That would include the Oxford-AstraZeneca shot. But what about people with mixed doses? Well, for that, we're still waiting for some clarification. But let's talk about these changing rules and what more we can expect. Joining us now is Len Saunders, an immigration lawyer from just across the border in Blaine. Good morning, Len. Hi, Simi. How are you? I am good. Thank you. So what do you think about this news? So the border is opening. We've got some rules coming into place. Well, it's, it, for many Canadians, um, I think what's going to happen is there's going to be confusion because, you know, most Canadians know that they've been able to fly to the U.S. over the last year and a half with no restrictions other than getting a negative COVID test. But what's going to happen now is many Canadians with mixed doses uh, or who are not vaccinated now will not be able to use that loophole to fly to the U.S. So effectively, it's now going to block many Canadians from coming to this country. So even though this has like meant, oh yeah, we're opening up the borders for you're saying that a lot of Canadians better double check because this might actually change things for them. Well, absolutely. So I think this is helping a lot of people from Asia and Europe who were blocked from coming to the U.S. because there was really no way around them coming other than going to a third country for 14 days to basically, um, you know, avoid the 14-day the quarantine in their home country. So now what I'm seeing is, especially if the land border stays closed and, you know, the, the latest closure extension expires on the 21st of October, but I don't think a lot of people are confident that the land border is going to close. When these new rules take effect in November, many Canadians, I think, are going to be blocked from flying down here. So I think you're going to see a mass exodus of a lot of snowbirders or unvaccinated Canadians who are going to use this opportunity to enter the U.S. knowing really, you know, they may not be admissible either by land or by air when these new effects uh, come into, uh, you know, uh, take effect in November. So how is this going to work then? Is the testing still going to be mandatory or will it switch to being proof of vaccination? Because right now you need to show that, you know, negative test to get into the United States. Absolutely. So from what I can see from what the American government has proposed, the testing will still be in effect. So even if you're fully vaccinated, you still have to be tested, but you have to do this extra step in showing that you're fully vaccinated. And that's the million dollar question here. What is fully vaccinated? Does that mean you can have one acceptable vaccination and one not or does it have to be both acceptable you know do you qualify based upon these these six acceptable vaccines some are accepted by the world health organization some are accepted by the fda in the u.s so it's gonna i think 
you know, even though the Americans now are being more consistent in people entering the U.S., because, you know, for all its practical purposes, you know, the Americans have left, you know, Canadians free to fly into this country. I think a lot of people are going to be confused, and you're going to see a lot of Canadians being denied entry if they don't comply with these new restrictions. Right. And so do we know what form that proof of vaccination will take? Like we here in B.C., we have the vaccine card. I mean, can we show that? I have no idea. It's interesting. So I've been fully vaccinated now since earlier this year, January and February. I've never been asked once in this country for proof of my vaccination. Ever? So who knows? I've ne- I have not been asked once, whether going into a restaurant or, you know, baseball games, football games, you know, traveling on airplanes. I have no idea how the Americans are going to uh, regulate this. So it's, it's going to be interesting over the next month to see what kind of, you know, proof that they're going to um, require a card, something more, you know, uh, like, you know, a passport like you're doing up in British Columbia. Who knows what the Americans are going to do? Is there, do you think, a lot of pent-up demand, Len, for people to come to the United States? I know in Canada we opened, you know, our borders in at the beginning of September, but that, ha- that doesn't mean we've seen a huge influx of tourists. Um, I think you'll see a lot of business travelers. Um, I know a lot of business travelers have been wanting to come to the U.S. Um, to visit their, you know, U.S. subsidiaries. Um, vacation travel, I think a lot of people, you know, have been just making alternative plans, but definitely the business travelers are wanting to come to this country. Okay, so you is that going to be, you think, uh, a lifesaver for some of the tourist destinations? Um, you know, it's interesting. I've been to a lot of uh, areas recently around the U.S., and it doesn't seem to be that different. You know, Americans are traveling a lot. Um, Canadians are still coming down here in droves. All the snowbirders are having all their cars shipped down here, and they're making all of these plans to fly, um, whether at the Vancouver airport or the you know local airports, or um, Abbotsford or Boundary Bay. So I don't think you're going to see a huge influx. I think you're honestly, you're going to see a lot more confusion. It's amazing how many calls I get from Canadians trying to figure out what all the restrictions are, flying, driving. You know, if, if the land border is open, this is a non-issue because people will just drive. But once again, are they going to require vaccination, proof of vaccination, negative COVID tests at the land border? It's going to be a logistical nightmare for the American government. And the way the information has come out too, Len, it's been kind of in dribs and drabs, hasn't it? It's almost like we're doing this, but we're still figuring out how we're going to do this. Exactly. And that's what's so confusing, right? They, they made the initial announcement in early September. So here they are a month later giving a little bit more details. This is supposed to take effect in November. The Canadian government actually did a really good job when they did this limited rollout, first for Canadians and then for Americans a month later and then for other foreign nationals. So the Canadian government actually did a very good kind of rollout of who is acceptable to fly into Canada or drive, whereas the Americans, it's, it's, it's typical of the American government. It's a disaster. Even when you look at around this country, right? There's such a, a, a patchwork of, of regulations. My daughter, who goes to school in Texas, I, t- I talked to her the other day. She can't remember the last time she wore a mask. What? Whereas in Washington State, where I am, you know, you go into a public area, you have a mask. I have masks in my car, so I have one when I go in. So it's a real you know, mismatch of, of who's complying, who's not. So who knows what's going to happen 
with all of these flights coming into this country. Is that part of the problem then? Because there's so many, if every airport is supposed to bring in these rules and you've got states where they don't take COVID as seriously as other states, is there going to be perhaps a potential uneven enforcement of those rules? Like if I fly into Dallas, Fort Worth, as opposed to flying into Los Angeles, is that going to be completely different? Well, I don't think so. And the reason why is I think the government is putting the onus on the airlines. Like if you go to Vancouver Airport, and this is what people have been telling me because I haven't been up there for a year and a half, it's the airlines that won't give you the boarding pass or let you through that first stage of security. You know, you have to show that you have your negative COVID test. Once you actually get to the Americans, the pre-flight clearance at Vancouver Airport, I've been told by many travelers, they don't even look at your proof of negative COVID test. So the onus is on the airlines to enforce these rules. You won't be able to get on a flight in Europe or in China or wherever, Asia, if you don't have these you know, requirements. So when you land, I think it's going to be a non-issue. So the, the government is going to put the onus on enforcing this on the airlines. And once again, those airlines will err on the side of caution because they don't want to bring travelers to the U.S. and have them turn back because then there's fines that the airlines receive. Okay, interesting. So then, Lynn, what do you think Canadians need to know this morning? Well, I think most Canadians have to hope that the land border opens on the 21st, so this becomes a non-issue. Otherwise, they're just going to have to watch the news or get fully vaccinated with whatever fully vaccinated means, according to the CDC in the U.S. All right, more to come. Len, thank you. Thanks, Simi. Have a good day. This is Mornings with Simi. Well, the city of North Vancouver is in the planning stages of replacing the Harry Jerome Recreation Centre. New one is being built right across the street from the existing location. But while it's under construction, starting next year, the old one is going to be torn down. So that leaves many of the tenants of the centre in the lurch, including the North Shore Indians lacrosse team. They will be without a place to play until the new rec centre opens in 2025. Now, here to talk about this is the governor of the North Shore Indian Lacrosse Team and Squamish Nation Council member, Wilson Williams. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. No problem. Good morning, Simi. This sounds really sad. How long has this lacrosse team been around? Oh, for years. I think we, we uh, four generations now for myself and uh, my family, with uh, since it opened back in 1966, I believe. Wilson, that's crazy. Is, that, is, that, is there no hope of anywhere else to play? Well, there's, <laughs> we're, we've been exploring since the uh, end of our uh, summer series of lacrosse at Harry Jerome. Since the conclusion of that, uh, in aug- early August, we've been uh, trying to really navigate options because a lot of more sort of decision-making came to light in regards to us having to navigate other options. But uh, they've, been, they've been pretty tough, especially through COVID, and it's challenging to hear these decisions being made through a pandemic. But also, none of the other facilities really want to... Um, the certainty isn't there to really plan and book other new groups. And we've, I've been hearing this a common thing with um, myself, but also my, our society as well, looking for other options, which is the only really options are right now is really wait and see till the new year is what we're hearing on the phone. But there's no options in North Vancouver for, for our lacrosse club. And why do you think that is? Well, I think with... With the project management team of where we're at right now with the developer, 
um, needing to build where Harry Jerome is in order to fund the new arena. But also there's a lack of facilities in North and West Vancouver that are adequate enough for the needs that we have just like similar to what uh, Harry Jerome is. What, what really astounds me is uh the the messaging that came out was oh Karen Magnuson is available but Karen Magnuson never far as I know never really had lacrosse other than maybe Tyke or Mini Tyke which is the really young ages the roof is too low and then other options was West End in the past community center but uh, they do ice ten months of the year now so it, it's not adequate enough for lacrosse right. as well. So are there ideas of what you can do? Are you having to make some kind of backup plan? What's going to happen? Yeah. You know, what's been really good is the North Vancouver community, all this, you know, we look at uh, all the user groups and tenants have been there for years. If it's Flickers Gymnastics, Chima Swimming Clubs, uh, the North Shore Senior Program, and then you look at the North Shore Minor Lacrosse Association, the, the North Shore... Um, program there what's been really good is a lot of people have been really coming together and and communicating we have a email group now we have you know really people wanting to use their voice in any way and share this news publicly which you know hasn't the process hasn't been shared publicly Endor has proper consultation with all the user groups that have been there um, whether they're new or um, long-term tenants that uh, proper consultation wasn't adequate and you know people read in the North Shore News or heard from somebody third party that hey they're the fine line it's great they're building a new arena coming 2025 but they're tearing down Harry Jerome in December so that's the sort of summer <laughs> right. news that wasn't too well received and, and now we're looking at people really communicating over the past month or so just in regards to, hey, we're not the only ones put in this position. I could see how that would slide by a lot of people though, right? Because all they hear is the, oh, hey, we're getting a new recreation center. Yeah. So I've been trying to do as much due diligence as possible and really look in the fine lines of, you know, the planning of what happened and so forth. And when we sort of reached out to the city council and, uh, and the parties at B that, um, they just started consulting consulting us or more or less communicating to us and then just sort of showed us the model of a presentation, a PowerPoint presentation of the model of what it, what, what it looks like and all that kind of stuff and yeah, having our opinion. Away. On. Like- exactly. <laughs> right. Exactly. So there's a big gap between lacrosse is going to die in North shore. And I'm really worried about our youth, you know, even though I'm, president of the North Shore Lacrosse Club, which is only operates our senior team right now, we, we look to umbrella over um, a development program similar to uh, the Iroquois Nationals program where they're just developing and empowering lacrosse and sharing the medicine game. And, you know, we wanted to start it on the North Shore and we've had a great success this past summer. And when we were allowed... Uh, whatever number of fans were allowed, we, we maxed out at a capacity of 500 this, this past summer. That's amazing. Wilson, tell me something. You said four generations just in your family alone playing lacrosse. What do you love about it? Oh, yeah. It's, you know, 
you know, it, it brings along the whole team spirit of like any other sport, like hockey and basketball and other team sports. But with lacrosse, it has such a rich, meaningful um, history and uh, legacy um, with the sport itself. It's it's very beautiful. It's and then you look at the cultural side, and you know, coming from an indigenous uh, background and community, I think like it really strengthens the community, especially when you have four generations. My great grandfather played and coached, and he his his son, my grandfather, did the same thing. You know, and and I'm at that stage now too. I'm a retired lacrosse player, but uh, you know, in a capacity where I'm helping. Uh, give back and so it's a tradition but also there's a winning tradition as well not just winning on the floor but winning and giving back in your community and I think that long-term legacy is is something we're fighting for right now especially in our community you know we got lacrosse academies now in North Shore which is connected to our schools and it's all about the future especially the younger ones not only just males or boys are playing lacrosse we got a lot of females i was at a, my daughters are in a lacrosse program in our gymnasium down in our community but there was more girls than boys playing which is awesome to see yeah it is awesome to see now i know consistency is so important though right when kids take up a sport uh, you want them to be able to have those opportunities to continue so um, how is this going to work are you hopeful that some kind of place yeah. will get worked out <laughs> Yeah, in the bottom of my heart, there's a, a, a strong feeling that there could be, and you know, coming from a an elected political position here, um, I'm going to do whatever I can. Um, you know, I've got emails and phone calls and messages that uh, people really want to come together and, you know, if and plan a protest. You know, similar to the tree saving um, initiative they did up in Harry Jerome with the Darwin Group. Um, People did a petition. We're do, we have an active petition right now, but we're looking to protest as well. So we there's an active petition, almost 3,000 signatures on there. People are willing to move forward and do a protest similar to the, that, that other initiative, but um, more so representing their sport or program, you know, and staff are reaching out to us as well, which is very concerning too because the lack of consultation, but also people are going to lose their jobs. If you're looking at 15, 20, 25 yeah. years of uh, 10 years, people are sad enough going to lose their jobs. And, you know, um, I don't think any political mes- message on the other side is really going to help unless they keep Harry Jerome alive uh, to accommodate uh, the 300,000 users that come every year. Yeah, no kidding. And especially the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wilson, how can people participate? You mentioned there's a petition. Where can they find out more? Yeah, so there's a petition that um, actually, um, so we have our Facebook page on North Shore Indians Lacrosse Club on Facebook, but also, uh, actually, if we share it, I know we shared it with CBC has a link, and to me, I can share it with you as well. Um, We have a great team of uh, people that are really just aggressive at pushing this forward, so I can't directly think of where the link is like that was on the website, but I think... Um, Why don't you email it to me? How about we do this? So, yes, sounds uh, you know, good. And I'm, I can pass it around sounds to good. people then. I'm sure lots of people will be interested. So email me the info on this. I'm simmy at cknw.com because, Wilson, I think a lot of people would think, wait a minute, this shouldn't be happening. It doesn't sound right. Uh, no. So hopefully we can get it worked out, but keep us updated on how it goes. 
For sure, will do. Thank you. Cindy. Okay, thank you. That's Wilson Williams, Squamish Nation Council member and governor of the North Shore Indians lacrosse team. They need a place to play. Doesn't seem right. Four generations of playing lacrosse and. Now they're not going to be without a space for, what, four years? Well, the new one is under construction. This is Mornings with Simi. You know, that being Thanksgiving, of course, we talk about the things that we are grateful for. And there is a lot on that list. There have been many tough challenges from the pandemic. Take a look at what's happening up in Northern Health these days. They are still dealing with rampant COVID cases. People in hospital who have had to be moved, perhaps to Vancouver Island or down here to the lower mainland, away from their friends and family as they try to fight something like COVID-19. And now some doctors are warning that there is even a particular ER in a small community that could close because of all the problems that they've been having. And yet, if you're trying to do the right thing, you still get pushback on it. Case in point, BC Liberal MLA for Peace River South, Mike Bernier, who joins us now. Good morning. Thank you for being back with us. Good morning. It's my pleasure. Good to talk to you again. Well, I wanted to get an update because I know you've been talking about this and you're very vocal and trying to make sure that people do the right thing and get vaccinated. What has the reaction been like? Well, it's been, well, let's just say, first of all, at our vaccination clinics, uh, we've expanded the hours and we're starting to see lineups there, which is a good thing to see. Uh, We're starting to see a couple of percentage points a week. Uh, going up, people and uh, more and more people are getting vaccinated. And at this point, uh, I don't even ask why they took so long or why they've chosen now. I'm just excited that people are getting uh, vaccinated. But uh, as you led off with, uh, it's it's still um, uh, we still have a long ways to go when you look at the pressure in our hospital system and and what's happening with our uh, physicians and nurses right now. You know, many are reaching out to me and. You know, they're at their breaking point. Uh, they're they're overworked, they're they're stressed, and they're just looking for help. Right. And Mr. Bernier, though, you yourself have been the target, right, of people saying to you that they don't appreciate <laughs> the message. And some of them have been quite aggressive with their threats against you. How have you dealt with that? Well, I, I try to remind myself, I sleep well at night knowing that I'm on the right side of this argument. Uh, you know, I know that uh, I've talked to my doctor, I've talked with uh a lot of different specialists. I've, you know, I've had the pleasure of also talking with Dr. Henry and Adrian Dix on a Minister Dix on a regular basis, uh, and and you know, I we have the information. We know what direction we need to go. So, um, you know, if it's one person at a time, I think we just need to keep the message strong and get more people vaccinated. You've also been very open in talking to people. They're rally, they go to rallies, but they're essentially rallying and they're arguing about you. But you've been addressing them directly. What do you say to them? Well, we can't back down on this. I mean, when we can't hide from the issue, people have strong opinions. People have different opinions. As an elected official, it's still important that you listen to that. Um, Sometimes we just have to agree to disagree, but that does not mean we have to be disrespectful uh, because some people have different uh, different mindset or different opinions on this. And I and I strongly feel the the more we hit this head on, the more we talk to people and try to remind them that, uh, you know, with what the facts are, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get through to more people. I mean, it's maybe slowly, but surely, for sure. Do you think the seeing, like, loved ones having to go perhaps to Vancouver Island or be in hospitals somewhere else in the province, has that had an impact, do you think, on the local community? Well, in a in a sad way, in a sad way, I hope it has, because uh, that's why I've been very... Uh, very strong in trying to 
get that message out there. A lot of people and families that are affected don't want to speak out, and, and I respect that. But we need we need people to understand that, you know, this is happening. It's, it's happening to their friends. It's happening to their neighbors, loved ones. Uh, you know, this is not just something you see on the media. It's it's happening right next door. And, you know, this this last last while has been very stressful. Uh, we're we're flying out almost one person a day, medevacing out one person a day out of the Dawson Creek Hospital alone. And as you said, to Kamloops, Nanaimo, Victoria, all over the province, wherever we can find beds to help these people. And you're all speaking of proximity or right next door. I know you've also said that you believe that, you know, the proximity to Alberta might have caused some challenges. Why do you think that is? Well, I, you know, I live in a part of the province where it's very independent people, strong-willed people, you know, blue-collar society in the sense people just want to work hard, make some money, raise their family, and, and enjoy uh, a good quality of life. And, you know, as a crow flies, I'm only about five miles from Alberta. And people up here uh, tend to gravitate more to Alberta for, for work, for uh, their family, and Frankly, there is a massive, massive distrust in my region for an NDP government or anything an NDP government uh, might do or say. And with a conservative government right next door, you know, a lot of people were pointing at that and saying, well, let's look at what they're doing rather than here in, in B.C. And so you think that perhaps the message was more like, I'm, I prefer to listen to that as opposed to what my province is saying. Well, yeah, a lot of people were just pointing right next door to, let's say, Grand Prairie and saying, well, you know, they're not putting a passport in there or they're not pushing the vaccine right next door. Uh, We're hearing uh, all these stress points in British Columbia, but it doesn't seem to be as bad in Alberta. Now, that was months ago, uh, which is when the vaccine first started. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, Alberta's in a similar situation now where they're being overrun in their hospitals and they're needing to really ramp up their message as well. So you're hopeful, though, it sounds like, that the message is slowly but surely getting through. Well, it, we have to be hopeful, right? Uh, at the end of this, we, we need to just keep the message strong. We need to uh, not back down on on making sure that all of us collectively are, are sharing the message. And, you know, that's where I just implore people uh, to, to look at the information, look at the data, and see the personal impacts. That's, I think, the most important. When you start hearing about uh, somebody who said, it'll never happen to me, and then two weeks later they're being medevaced out, you know, that means right now in Dawson Creek, the way things are going, there's somebody today walking around my community perfectly healthy, unvaccinated, thinking it'll never happen to them. And in two weeks from now, they could be medevaced out with severe uh, COVID symptoms. So yeah, that is why we want to just keep getting this message out there. Well, listen, thank you very much for joining us. Good luck. Yeah, I hope you had a great Thanksgiving weekend. Take you care. You too. You too. That's Mike Barnier. He's a BC Liberal MLA for Peace River South. It has been an ongoing challenge up there. Uh, you know, to try to get people vaccinated, raise the vaccination rates. And the concern is every week that they're not able to really tackle those numbers is that more people are getting COVID and they're being sent to other hospitals, as Mike Bernier was just pointing out there. So, you know, what you're already in, you know, pretty small corner of the province there. And now you're going to be away from all your family and all your friends recovering in a hospital in a place that you don't know very well. I mean, it's a horrible situation. And the best way to combat that is to make sure that you don't 
have to worry about something like that by getting vaccinated. They're still working on it. And what's interesting about Mike Bernier's story is that he has been very public and, you know, trying to do the right thing and get that message out there. And boy, has he ever faced backlash. Like we're talking on Facebook, you know, rallying cries against him and people stopping him in the street and saying, I'll never vote for you again. And he said, you know what, I could still sleep at night over that because he believes he knows he's doing the right thing. And that is the challenge for politicians, right? This is Mornings with Simi. Well, saw some news over the weekend about what Scandinavian countries are doing. And we thought, you know what, we should probably talk about this because Finland has joined other Nordic countries in suspending or discouraging the use of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine in certain age groups because of an increased potentially risk of heart inflammation. This is a rare side effect that could be associated with the shot. So what is going on here? Should we be worried about this? What do we need to know? Well, joining us now is Dr. Brian Conway, Medical Director and Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Centre. Good morning, Dr. Conway. Good morning. Thank you for joining us to explain this to us. So should we be concerned about this? Not at this point in time. We know that heart inflammation occurs with the mRNA vaccines. With the first shot, the risk is about one in a million. With the second shot, it's one in a hundred thousand. And we already knew before all of this news broke that in men under the age of 25, the risk with the second shot is one in 10,000. Now, this needs to be balanced against the risk of getting COVID. And if you do get COVID, there's a 1 in 3,000 chance that you will get heart inflammation with a 2% mortality and a 50% chance of long COVID in that age group. So we really need to balance risks and benefits. So far in Canada and the United States, the analysis has been that we really are needing to be vaccinated and that the benefit outweighs the risk. Right. So then why do you, why do you think these Nordic countries are, are taking this tactic? Well, this is surprising because they have not released the data that led to this conclusion. And all of the Nordic countries have taken different approaches. In Iceland, Moderna is banned altogether. In Finland and Sweden, it's banned in men under 30. In Denmark, men under 18. And in Norway, it isn't really a ban. It's choose Pfizer if you can. So I think until we see the data that led to this decision, I think to me, it just makes me more confused And I would stick to the analysis that had been in place here in Canada before any of this news broke. Yeah, this is what I wonder, too, is that with this stuff in the news, people see these headlines, right? And then they start to worry. And are they worrying unnecessarily? Like, why do countries do this when they know that's what's going to happen? Well, if you're going to do this, at least show me the data that led to this conclusion. And when the the people in, in Sweden especially were asked, the, the ones that generated the data, they say, well, it's confidential and we submitted it to the European uh, Drug Review Agency. So, so at least tell us, reassure us, because if you don't, it really does support to some extent the non-vaxxers or the anti-vaxxers. They say, see, they're trying to hide things from us. And it really doesn't help us at all in this very important vaccination campaign with which we need to proceed. Canadian authorities over the weekend said nothing has changed. So until we see the data, I think that we just need to be to be confident that we know what we know and we should proceed as we are proceeding. Does this give you an idea, though? I guess it reminds us of how jumpy some health authorities in some countries are. Well, they really don't want to. This is young people, and especially it's actually young men, not young women. It really is young men. And they really do not want to do any harm. 
but I will remind us that this heart inflammation, even at the rate of 1 in 10,000 with second shots in young males, except for a handful of cases, a full recovery has been observed. So there's no death, there's no long COVID. It, it is a side effect. We would rather it not be, but it is. It's, there's large studies have been published in peer-reviewed journals over the past week uh, from the United States, from Israel, that does not bring up any difference between Moderna and Pfizer at all. So until we see the data, I think, uh, again, we, we just need to, to be confident that we know what we know. But please, let's not do this again. Let's not go out and say, well, I'm exactly. doing this, I'm banning Moderna, and I can't tell you why. Yeah, I know. That's why I was surprised to see them do this, too. And also, do we have to remind people that this, as you point out, this is a very small risk compared to what happens if you get COVID? What are the long-term risks of that? Well, that's it. And that's what's left out of this equation. And we are now seeing in young adults, male and female alike, the risk of long COVID is as much as 50%. So this is really the harm that we want to avoid. And that's why getting vaccinated right now is more important than ever, especially in younger adults. Okay. And what about, um, like, we're learning more as well about what Pfizer is going to be doing soon, right? They want to, they're applying for submission to Health Canada to um, perhaps vaccinate children under the age of 12. Yeah, absolutely. I think the study was a very good study. A little over 2,000 children were vaccinated, third of the dose very effective in terms of antibody levels, no disease, no significant uh, side effects. I think the concern that some might have is that 2,000 isn't that many people in terms of being sure of what we're going to be injecting into our children. And that's a discussion that we need to have. And not to evade the issue at all, but by the time we get it licensed in Canada, it will have been given to many more children, especially in the United States, so that'll be a source of reassurance. And I invite all the parents to really look at all the data, weigh the advantages and disadvantages of vaccination at the time. And hopefully we will be able to very strongly recommend vaccination in the 5 to 11-year-old age group uh, and on a broader scale. So are you, are you okay with kind of Canada's pace on this? I think so. I think we, we need to finish vaccinating the group that is eligible right now. We are vaccinating at, at a much slower pace than we did at the end of June. And I think that needs to be our priority from a, from a logistical uh, basis. Uh, as soon as it is licensed for the 5 to 11-year-old age group, we need to administer it very broadly. Here in British Columbia, we've really had a vaccine held by uh, health authorities and, and their delegates. And that's really limited access to, to by, in many cases. So I think when we get to the children, we'll have to administer it more uh, more broadly in schools and the like and, and get that part done. Right. So then, Dr. Conway, given these latest headlines that people might be seeing today about what's going on in Finland and some of the Scandinavian countries, your advice to people then is to not worry about that right now. Nothing has changed here in Canada. Please go ahead and get your vaccine. Ask your questions. Make sure you're happy that you understand uh, the benefits and risk, the benefits far outweigh the risk, and please go get your shot. That's the key, though, right? It's like asking someone the questions, like, go to your family doctor, have the conversation, or talk to, you know, somebody, or get those questions answered. That is exactly what needs to happen. If you see a headline that scares you, go ask an expert that you trust that will give you objective information and make up your mind. No one will force 
you to get vaccinated. But I want to force you to ask all your questions and come to an enlightened decision that will serve you well and hopefully serve society well. Dr. Conway, thank you so much for your time this morning. Thanks for having me. Happy Thanksgiving to all. Same to you. That is Dr. Brian Conway. He's the Medical Director and Infectious Diseases Specialist at the Vancouver Infectious Disease Center.